Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. And I'm Momentum. And we are 31.6-year Wall Street veterans who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with our candid views on a handful of stocks we screen for here in the shop each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, it's uh, July 26, 2012. It's after hours. The market's closed, and we ran a new low screen this week. It's kind of a down and dirty value, guys, uh, screen that we like to look at once in a while. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, uh, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week. Uh, but this is after hours, uh, we're just kicked back after work, and we haven't done any of the rigorous fundamental analysis that we do uh, during the week. In fact, we've tried to do as little as possible, or I'll speak for myself on that No, one. I can speak for you too, because uh, you, you did attempt to cheat earlier, I what? noticed, by no. printing out headlines I, well, I just on, like a little, on some of the stocks. The, I think of that as runway lights. Exactly. Well, you're... Still yeah. in safe territory because you haven't actually read any of the headlines. No, I understand. So well, if you read gonna, them, though, now you're in violation. Well, I, I still I have, uh, yeah, we'll get into that. I have uh, two more caveats. This oh. is highly unorthodox. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, number three, uh, our lawyers say to remind you that we don't have your best interests in mind, and therefore uh, we may accidentally uh, recommend that you do the opposite of what's best for you. Or intentionally. We might do that intentionally if we uh, want to. Like okay. last week. Um, and then... Uh, uh, so do your own work. Uh, and then fourth, um, I have been drinking this week. I don't know. I'll let Mo speak for himself. Uh, yeah. Is that juice you have? Shout there? out to Kettle One. Thank you for the complimentary oh. case that you sent to the value guys. Yeah. And uh, any other liquor companies out there, if you will, just contact us through www.valueguys.com and we will give you the mailing address. Uh, but yes, yeah, send whatever you want, and we'll plug it on the show as long as the alcohol content is above eight and a half percent. Perfect. You know, I was on an American Airlines flight recently, and uh, I was paging through like yesterday. I was paging through, and Dan Aykroyd has a new vodka out. It's called uh, like Skull Vodka, and he says that he had to scour the earth for just the right vodka. It's not what you put in; it's what you don't put in. And it's in the shape of a skull, so. Uh, so that's his. So, well, I well, maybe maybe in return for this plug, hey Dan, we're plugging your liquor. He'll come and be a guest on the Value Guys. That's what yep. I'm hoping. Yeah, or for. send a send a couple skulls. Anyway, that's our fourth caveat. Uh, we've been drinking. Um, okay, we've got three. No, I'm sorry, four terrific value ideas this week. And what we did is we did a screen on new lows, lows as of today, the the 52 week low. And you never know when you're going to get, it's like, uh, it's like a stew of stuff, you know. Some have good returns, some bad, some have terrible stories, some just have a, you know, a, a felon for a CEO. You know, you never know what you're going to get. It's a, it's a mix of stuff. But uh, before we get to that, and, well, I'll just tell you what those tickers are. Keep, stay tuned for that. It's, uh, uh, we, we went through about 50 or 60 names, Mo, wouldn't you say? There so? were uh, 74 names. 74 names. And we've chosen four the four absolutely best names, possibly, asterisk, uh, 
on that list, wouldn't you say? The best names at uh, 41 and a half seconds per name can get yeah. you. Well, we like to put in the time. You yeah. know, these things don't pick themselves. Exactly. You know? uh, so Diamond Foods is at a new low. Ticker DMND, they, uh, they make nuts, among other things. International Game Technology, IGT, you know, they're the backbone of Internet poker, which is not allowed here, but maybe at some point. Peabody Energy, um, they make coal. You guys, you still remember that? You know, about uh, three billion people use it to heat their homes, so don't forget about it. And, and, the, and the worst, the worst manners in the United States become. And there's been a big decline in manners. In manners. In manners. The worse yeah. they become, the more coal that goes into people's stockings That's at Christmas true. time. That's true. So we're always on my shop. We're always looking to play the macro trend. I think the decline of social of, uh, you know, niceties yeah. are resulting in a larger year Someone doesn't open a door, lump of coal. Exactly. Someone steals a cab, lump of coal. We're talking big numbers, and yeah. China That's and India true. are just coming are online. Are they just getting into the rude thing? As they increase the rude factor, which we track, yeah. we look at newspaper clippings also. That, yeah, we have a, we have a four... Point one is it four point one? That's already, a new high already. But of wow. course, New York is almost a hundred. We've been there a long time. Yeah, I so think ours anyway, is coming down. So anyway, okay. And then uh, the last one. Good That's good. Good picture. Uh, super value. A cautionary which, tale uh, is probably misnamed. I'll just say, a super value is the name, and it's got a seventeen percent yield, and that's all we're going to say right now. Yeah. But before we get to that. An important segment of the show we like to do, I like to do it particularly because I don't do any work on it. It's called Value Guys uh, Wall Street News, brought to you by Mo Mentum, right? And Kettle One Vodka, thank you very much again. Do we have to put their logo on the site now? Send more. Send more. Send more. How about a flavored one? This one's, uh, it's good, but it's flavorless. Well, you... you, I had to put a little juice in it. You did. Um, oh, well, we, we want to give listeners a heads up that we have a forthcoming book, which will be self-published, and it will be available on Kindle. And it's going to... And Amazon. And Amazon. Yeah, we're working. And it's, uh, it's going to chronicle our infiltration of the 1%. You read about the 1% all the time. Who are these guys? They're not all thirst and They're stealing our money, that's for sure, right? right? How do we get inside the 1% and report? We are going to be your passport inside the 1%. How are we going to do that? Well, we do have a hedge fund. We're yeah. starting a we're starting a wealth management division. Division. Yeah. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to instead of just our institutional clients, we're going to allow top you have to be in the top 1%. Yeah. And uh, first time available. We will then be reporting Kind of like inside the war zone, you know. Anderson yeah. Cooper does it. What's Here I am in really Afghanistan, like? and the bombs are exploding <laughs> behind me. Well, we're going to do that for the one percent. Yeah, go inside. Here I, here I am on Thurston's yacht, and in back of me, we're drinking martinis. We're going to be your inside yeah. source to the one percent. This is going to be so fun. I tell you, we were, uh, we went to uh, an art opening. It's uh, our introduction to the new business, actually. The other night, and we were starting to talk with some. Some clients, your track record's pretty amazing, and so That's people have been out. Well, but they've been salivating to get in, so all of a sudden we meet, who can we call her, Muffin. We met Muffin <laughs> the other night. <laughs> Muffin. And um, yep. Muffin's husband is uh, flies to Aspen regularly, and um, 
problem with, you may not know this, but the problem with Aspen is that flying in, your jet has to be somewhat downsized because yeah. the runways aren't long. It's a short runway. And um, the shorter the jet, the yeah. lower the ceiling. Yeah. So Muffy's husband can't stand up and pee in the jet. Oh, no. And I think he's of an age when one pees quite a bit. <laughs> Certainly the ride to Aspen is more than 15 minutes. Exactly. So he can't stand up when he pees, so they need a bigger jet. But they can't <laughs> land the bigger jet in Aspen, so they're going to land in Carbondale. There's no airport in Carbondale, but that's not a problem. They're going to build one. Oh, of So course. they'll uh, have their a private... Just a one runway, though. Nothing uh, elaborate. But long enough to, to handle Thurston's jet. They will fly into Carbondale. I can't make this up. Come on. They fly into Carbondale, and then they can helicopter to their place in Aspen, and they actually save almost 20 minutes door-to-door from Manhattan. And they save fuel because I think the bigger jet is more fuel efficient. That's what I'd heard. And going green is so important. Yeah, no, that's the key to the whole thing. There it is, our first report from... And they take an electric car back to Aspen, I believe, so... Yes, uh, it tells them. Yeah, so... So there's our first (laughs) report from inside the 1%. That could be chapter uh, one. Yeah, yeah. So we're working So, um, another quick... That's hilarious. Another little quick question for you. Yes, sir. The year? 25, 25... No. Will man still be alive? Is that? No. At this point, that's looking very doubtful. <laughs> oh, well. 1981. Yes, sir. The first intelligent conversation. That's right. We had it. We did. We did do that. We taped it. We should put it up on the website. Well, uh, if you recall, we were uh, rehearsing for an institutional presentation. And for those of you listening who are sober, um, I would suggest to you that in our profession, the stuff in the books, which is important, get straight A's if you can at a good school. I'm just going to say that's not overlooked. That's important. But then the stuff that's really important, they're not teaching you in school. Half the battle is persuading the You can read all the books, do all the work. You can write a 4,000-page report, but now you're making a speech, and you're going to be judged, and your idea is going to be judged on the persuasive quotient of that speech. And okay. in 1981, we taped you. We taped you too, Mo. Yeah, we did. Do you remember the company? I do. Uh, I do, but I don't want to say because it's, uh, you can Google that kind of stuff. These oh, days. I yeah. remember that. You did a. You do also did a dramatic reading of your first research report. Well, I, that was the presentation. <laughs> yeah, that a was drama- it. it was we, a dramatic uh, reading. I have that. We were doing a conference call. There were going to be, like, uh, at least in my head, I thought there were going to be 10,000 people on this call with regard to this acquisition that all of the street wanted to know about. Yeah. And I was, uh, you know, 24 years old. Well, the thing about nervous, and nervous, you should be nervous. Um, Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. That's the side of Wall Street that they're not teaching you at school. Join Toastmaster, do something, get some public speaking experience, and also rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. I don't think, and we've done the show five years or so, I've really never made that point, that to be successful on Wall Street, yeah, do all the homework, know the valuation, understand management, be the smartest guy on that stock. But if you can't convince a group that you're right, uh, you're a grad student, not a businessman. So, Wall Street news. So, um, that's the end of our Wall Street news. It is? What are we doing now, Mo? New low screen. New low screen. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Yes, sir. The, uh, you tell me how you did this, because we, we, it cranked out. 
they cranked out uh, 74 names. Interestingly enough, of those 74, four of them had double-digit yields, which tells you how deep you dug in the barrel. Yeah. But, but how did you come up with a 74? Who'd well, I, you know, we're in my office now, and uh, we've been doing the show here for like really about a year now. It's real convenient. So you can do a lot of these things on Yahoo Finance, uh, which are free. But this week, I, I, we have a fact set here. So there's a button that says print the new 52-week lows. And in the spirit of doing as little as possible, honestly, hitting a button on FactSet, that used to be an entry-level job when we got in the business, Mo. I think it was a senior-level yeah, job. Yeah, I mean, it would take, to just compile that information and show it to somebody would take hours and hours and hours. I mean, you're going through yesterday's newspaper taking notes, I mean, and click. So uh, you wonder why it's hard to break into Wall Street, because all the jobs are now a button on FactSet for one thing. But there's a button, 52-week low. On Yahoo Finance, if you want to do it there, it's pretty easy. I'm not sitting there right now. They may have a button for 52-week low, but if they don't, all you have to do is go in, and they do have a relative strength filter, and you can play with that until all you get is the dregs. And that's what this is. Every stock that's on this 52-week low basically means their, the combination of their earnings and their outlook is the worst it's been in a year. And the reason that's a good pile to look through is people make mistakes about that. <clears throat> There's a herd mentality. And not everybody uh, that has a heart attack dies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's very true. <laughs> good point. Now, we've talked on the show about why it's good to look at stocks with very few analysts because there's not enough information. Now, let's talk about the reason to look at stocks with a lot of analysts where there's a, a singular consensus. And, but here, with tw these companies have, they have 29 analysts following them. Well, are, there, are there 29 <clears throat> brokerage firms out there? Uh, I thought it was you, me, and, and um, well, Phil. So there's no, like there, six, of, six of us, six brokerages. No, there's a lot of brokerage firms around. Just most of them you've for? never heard of. I don't know. We could pull this up. Twenty nine. It's guys yeah. like uh, well, they're good. I mean, frankly, the ones you've never heard of are the are the brokerage firms we talk to huh. because I mean, you don't. If there's a good idea, why talk to a firm that's spreading it to the other firms that represent ninety percent of the trading volume on the NYSE? If you're looking for proprietary knowledge, that's the exact opposite thing that small you firm recommending do. a small stock yeah, stuff under the radar. Know. And the reason to talk to them is not because they think it's a good idea or a bad idea. Come to that view yourself, but then seek out the expert who's talked to that management team, traveled with them, understands some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. And if you lure a trading relationship with them, they're going to tell you everything they know. So that's a good thing to do. But uh, to get back to why look at a stock with a lot of, uh, a, a lot of guys covering it? Because there's a herd mentality. And uh, sometimes it pays to be a contrarian. When you have a stock with no coverage... Imagine you're getting proprietary information, but you're not really using the psychology of being a contrarian to win because there's no viewpoint in the marketplace. It's a lot of individual viewpoints. But when you have 29 people covering it and they're all within five cents on the earnings per share range because no one wants to get out of sync with the group and potentially risk their great relationship with management or their sales force or the bankers, they have a lot of incentives to just stay near the crowd, honestly, as an analyst, because, I mean, we've done that. You know the pressure. But uh, if they're all wrong, that's where you want to get in. So 
Uh, first name this week is uh, Diamond, Diamond Foods. Foods. D M N D is the ticker, and uh, you know they've all passed the screen. This is sitting on the 52-week low as of the close today. Now, what? Got to ask you a question on these guys. Yeah. All right, these guys make. Uh, well, bar, they, they make bar nuts. Well, they 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 process them. Yeah. Almonds, yeah. potato yeah. chips. It's a great business. Sure. All right. Well, look at this chart. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. Catch the falling knife. Yeah. This thing was down thirty nine. These are bar nuts. What's going well, on? Are people not, on? No, are no, people no. not eating? They're not just bar nuts, my friend. I would I would suggest potato to you, chips. Not just bars use them. People in homes buy nuts. Actually, if you're trying to live a healthy hey, lifestyle, you should be eating nuts. Well, the whole thing of let's get rid of high fructose corn syrup. You know, Mayor Bloomberg wants to get rid of sugar. It's silly because obviously you can get two cans of soda instead of one big gulp or whatever. But the fact is, he's just trying to make the point, which I agree with. Try to drink less sugar. It's just you'll live longer, and you know. I agree. But so nuts are nuts are an important, nuts are an important so part of it, and you, they sell a lot of these at home. Explain this. This is a mystery. When yeah. I looked at this, I thought, "Great, it's a good business." Nuts. You're right. People eat it because they're being healthy. People eat them because they're being unhealthy. Now that's about as big of a market as you could possibly <laughs> hope for. And, and they and fit yet, in your hand. They're tasty. Right. What have you? You know. In 2011, this stock yeah. was down almost 40 percent, and in 2012, it was down almost 50 percent. Sales have gone from 500 to 600 to 960,000 to a billion. EBITDA margins have been 10, 11, 14, 11. Yeah. What, you look what? at something like What's that. What's happening? What makes this stock go from 100 to 16 when it's, a, when it's nuts? Yeah. The We're story nuts. nuts to talk it about. Is, I don't know, but it's, it's, a nutty, it it's a nutty thing. Right. It's a nutty. Well, let me, uh, let me suggest uh, something here. Uh, We've got to turn that down a little bit. How's that? Um, Okay, the stock hit a peak of, uh, it looks like about nearly $90 a share, uh, and obviously not that long ago, in, uh, maybe a year ago, in the fall last year. Now, it's 16 so Either ouch. people are eating fewer nuts, but I don't see it, I don't see it in the well, revenues going up. Here's what I see, here's what I see, Mo, and I'm not a seer, so, uh, but... I'm looking at this asset line. Between 2009 and 2010, assets went up fourfold. And again, when you do as little work as possible, you have to infer things. Acquisition. Let's Overpaid. Look, let's look at the share count. The share count went in two years from 16.5 to 22.2. And companies do a little trick, ladies and gentlemen, when they do acquisitions. They time them to be in the middle of the fiscal year so it looks like the share count's going up gradually because when they post share count numbers, it's the average share count. So when you go from 16.5 to 18.8 and 22.2, that's you know not what really that. happened. All at once. It went from 16.5 to 22.2, so and then they just averaged it. So there's a, a four, you know, what, 3.7 million shares when the stock was at 50. So let's just call that roughly 170 million. And then the cash balance... Uh, I know it's here somewhere. Uh, not too bad. Uh, it went down about uh, well, f fifty million. So they they paid two hundred and thirty million for something um, <clears throat> in cash. The the debt uh, went up four hundred million. So my God, 
You're they right. paid eight hundred million for something, stock and debt, and the math may not be right. And then EBITDA, uh, well, it certainly went up. Ah, but, but here's what happened. Yeah. Take a look at earnings estimates revisions on this sheet. Yeah, what, so right. So after this deal was closed, earnings expectations must have been that it was a very creative acquisition. Yeah, but synergy, the, all that. In the right? last three months, some of these guys' earnings estimates have gone down by 30%, and in the six months, they're, they're gone down the same, almost 30% reduction in earnings estimates. So what people are saying is they're still eating peanuts, but these but. guys... Have messed up, and that's not. It peanuts. messed up. That's what it. Nice. Not peanuts. That's what it looks like. You know, they paid up for something, they got the analysts stoked. Here's the thing: when you do a stock deal, you're using stock. The sellers view that as having value. If they're smart, the moment they get it, they short it on the other side to hedge it. That's what I do when I sell things. I mean, you don't want to bet on your buyer's stock. You think they're stupid to pay how much they're paying. So why would you trust that? Their stock might not go down. Hedge it immediately. That'd be my advice. So hopefully they did that. But before you do the deal, you want everyone to be psyched. You want the analysts to be psyched. You want the portfolio managers to be psyched. So the stock goes up, so you have to use fewer shares. So you're diluting everyone less. It's just classic. It's psychology. And then you promise things. And since you're not legally bound to... Uh, have those promise. You know, it's like, hey, we've been drinking, right? right? Exactly. We don't. We're making estimates, but we don't know if they're right at all, ladies and gentlemen. And so you get everyone kind of rosied up, and then ouch. Now, well, well you know what's interesting? The, so here's a classic case of a, of a pr I think a pretty great story. The company had analysts expecting huge things. They picked yeah. the stock up. This well, these company are down delivered forty percent. Right. The company delivered. Just normal stuff. It's not like the company failed. It just failed to, to post the incredible expectations that have been earnings built into Earnings are actually the stock. up. Exactly. Revenues are up. Earnings are up. Yeah. It, they're just not as up as, as much as people want. Right. So there's an overreaction on the stock. It may now be undervalued. And as yes. you just continue to deliver, which they're doing every quarter, you're, you eat nuts, right? Well, not only do I eat them, but increasingly your doctor is asking you to eat them. And that's how the pharma industry got so big. So I'm not going to compare cashews to Lipitor, but I'm going to say Lipitor is going off patent, and these guys are making a 14% EBITDA margin. So there's something in there somewhere. And if uh, the Obama administration decides that they're going to mandate nut consumption... Yeah, if you don't eat nuts, you're going to have a penalty. That's yeah, right. That's what's and on the docket. take it out of your taxes. Now, so. let, me, uh, let me just get into the valuation. So that's a lot. Of, we just <laughs> talked about a lot of reasons it's down. Yep. They disappointed Wall Street. Why are we interested in this? Well, because, as Mo said, the numbers are actually up. You know, the return on assets is down of course, because they overpaid relative to their sell. Return on equity down. But I'm going to guess that the synergies that they saw and they sold Wall Street, because Wall Street does do due diligence, okay? It's not like people are out just wildly guessing. They do the math. They figure out, can you really lose these people? Can you really change computer systems? Can you really consolidate warehouses? We do that kind of homework. So it's only oftentimes a matter of timing. Management convinces you that they're going to have a SWAT team and get this thing done before the end of the fiscal year, when, let's face it, have you finished that novel you're working on? No. So it's going to take them three years, not one year, but eventually they're going to get that. And meantime, doctors are saying eat nuts. Right now, 
the stock is 6.4 times EBITDA, and their five-year range on that metric is 6.3 on the low. So they're one tick off their five-year low, 22.8 on the high, and the chances are that EBITDA is going to grow faster than sales as they get these costs out just a little slower than Wall Street expected. Wall Street thinks they're punishing somebody by going negative and all that, but they're helping the value investor. So thank you, short-term oriented Wall Street analysts, because we're getting a stock that's got a lot of great trends at a great price because Wall Street's mad. You know, it's like, go to your room. Okay, well, let's play in their room and well, take advantage of this Now I have a question. And this, we just... Listeners, go look this up for yourself if you're intrigued by this, but it seems to me that this stock has dividends per share. We're looking at one screen here from FactSet, and uh, look, it, it's showing that they actually post dividends per share, and yet when the yield is calculated on our printouts, we get a zero. You got any flavor on that? Uh, I can't. Let's see here. Val, this, so they do have... They, well, this says dividends per share going from... No, but, but you're not supposed uh, to say. What? You're not supposed Are we to, playing guess we, the dividend? We may, but I'm just wondering. Oh. It looks like they do have a dividend, even though they don't have a yield. Yeah. Secret dividend. Well, uh, you know, maybe it's a one-timer and they don't count it. I, no, I can't explain that. You know what? The Mitt Romney dividend. Why? It's in uh, paid into Swiss the Cayman, Bank? Paid into the Cayman Islands, goes right not to reported. the Swiss, Swiss Bank. And so the companies, and there are some don't have to actually report the dividend. If 92% of the dividends are held by people that are diverting them to the Cayman Islands, they don't have to, FASB says you don't have to report them. Yeah, which that's is why true. <clears throat> they've been paying a certain dividends. we're kidding about that. There's mm-hmm. probably just a miscalculation by facts. Let's face it. Now, if we want, I think part of this uh, wealth management 1% thing, I mean, we're going to get some good stories out of that about the Caymans and all that. Mm-hmm. Thurston undoubtedly travels to the Cayman. Well, that's going to be one of our shows, how you, too, can set up the Cayman Island uh, tax shelter and a, a Swiss bank account. Why can't we all be Mitt Romney? Yeah. Well, you, we all can be. There's mutual funds where if you buy them, that money is in a Swiss bank account. So this isn't all as tricky as people that's true. think. So, uh, anyway, Diamond Foods... Check it out. It looks cheap. It looks like it's in the doghouse with Wall Street, but it's still a good dog. And, uh, yeah, so, nutty uh, story. Next up, International Game Technologies, IGT. And, again, the beauty of a screen is, before we even say anything, this stock, 52-week low. You want to know something funny about International Game Technology? Yeah, particularly if I'm an owner. <laughs> I need something funny. Ninety-one percent of their sales are domestic. Yeah, yeah. I'm so not why are they called? Why are they called international game technology? Well, you know how we are here. I mean, World Series, you guys World are, Champion. You know, blah, I can't blah, say blah. the name of your fund, but it ends in international. Yeah. Do you have any international clients? We do. Yeah. One. We have a few. One. Uh, it's really actually kind of a joke. Well, I think people, people know I that think who know people us. Put international on names just to make it seem bigger than it is yeah yeah i've been encouraging the management of mcdonald's to add international mcdonald's international wouldn't that be funny anyway they are international okay anyway where are we here i'm losing track international game technology you like Uh, them igt well it hit the 52 week low again we went through about 50 names 
Why do I like this thing? Well, gambling is just one of those, you know, you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs and there's, you know, gambling is right there amongst the few at the bottom. You know, it's certainly above, you know, reading the hundred greatest books of all time. People gamble. And when we're in a tough economic time, <clears throat> people's wives don't let them gamble. So it does have a little discretionary element to it. Wait a minute. But, you can't say huh? that. You can't say Why? that on air. I certainly can. Why? Well, don't let our wives listen this week. Okay. Yeah, that's all. <sighs> okay. Sorry. So, but I, I'm not a big gambler. Uh, you know, when you're doing small cap value, you, you kind of get your fix over your in that system. area. <laughs> <laughs> so, but in any case, uh, no, IGT... They do a lot of the backbone for gambling. Gambling, it's down, but here's the nice thing about gambling. It's not going to be obsolesced. These guys have a giant market share. The reason the stock's on the 52-week low, frankly, is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they've been losing a little share to WMS Industries in gaming. And, uh, <clears throat> and so, you know, Wall Street, short-term oriented, if you're losing a little share, I'm going to punish you. We just talked about that. These guys are, uh, they're growing cash. Their sales are up. Do you know the interesting thing is that if you look at their sales in 2008, you can see that they were losing share. Their sales yeah. were 25, 21, yeah. 19, 19. And uh, so you looked at so sales were slowly withering up, and yet all of a sudden in 2012 they ticked up from 19 well, to 21. Yeah. Um, EBITDA margins have been, you know, fairly consistent in the last three years in the very mid well, to high. Well, look how high those are. And the thing 30, about yeah. IGT is when you look at those old numbers back in 07, 08, these guys at one point, and I was at a firm years ago, we had a big stake in this. So I've been around this company for, you know, longer than I want to say, 25 years, 30 years. But uh, they own the business. They at one point had 60% of the market share. You know, WMS is the old Williams, gotten was pinball and converted over. These guys owned the systems and the games, and, and, and they've just been losing a little share uh, because at one time they were the only guy in, in town, and Bally's has kind of evolved a better system uh, that's gaining share. Williams has had a, or WMS has had a, they've had to pay up for some uh, properties, licenses. So, you know, the, the point is, um, IGT is a player. I'm going to guess their market share right now in the systems and the games is 40% still, very strong. So they could lose a little market share still, but it's an annuity of some sort. It's not as if they're being obsolesced. They're seven times EBITDA. The five-year range is 3.5, which, of course, was back in 08. When things collapsed, it was on a trailing number, to 16.2 when things get pretty optimistic. Enterprise value to sales, two when it's between a 1.4, 6.3 range. Uh, they have a very good balance sheet, 2%. Uh, oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry, that's not correct. That's the uh, quick ratio. No, they, okay, they do have a little bit of debt. But the best thing about them, and it helps you understand their proprietary nature in the business, is their EBITDA margin. They have competition, and yet they've got a 38% EBITDA margin, 55% gross margin. And so, you know, 55% gross margin tells you the markup. If things cost, uh, if they earn 54%, it means the things cost 46%. 
and they're marking it up to 100, it's more than a double on the raw material cost. And that means something's proprietary here in some way. And it's uh, at, a, at a low, I think, based on just short-term concerns about market share. And, and those things, uh, I believe, move around a little bit. They can certainly go and invest in the technology to catch up and that sort of thing. So I like it. It's worth a look in here. Um, as you see, Mo, the earnings revisions have not really, they're not surprising anyone. They're, no, they're kind of they're in. They're clunking along. There's yeah. a couple of upward revisions. And the interesting thing is, if you look at earnings per share, they go from 50 cents to 70, I'm rounding, 50 to 75 cents to 98 cents to a, to a buck. And you've got earnings uh, forecasts, you know, ticking up a hair. So uh, the earnings per share clicking right along. Sales have shown a nice little uptick, which presumably are going to continue for the next, you know, hopefully for the next three quarters. EBITDA margins are nice and flat, and it's got a nice yield. So I'd, I think it's uh, worth kicking the tires on also. Yeah, okay. Well, so IGT. Next up, uh, why don't you uh, kick it off, my friend? This Keep is your idea. Well, you know, I... I was going to ask you, there were a couple of these when we did these, uh, you know, hitting the low lows where I'd looked at it, and I'm kind of mystified why the stock's acting the way it's acting. Peabody Energy Corp, uh, <laughs> love this ticker symbol, BTU. BTU, dash, yeah. yeah. BTU dash US. British Thermal Units. Yeah, well, it is an American company. Yeah. I don't know why they would be wow. using a British. They may owe royalty on that. Um, all right, so private sector coal company we all know the story for coal we've talked about it on a whole bunch yeah. of shows um these guys actually now i know it i know that natural gas has been a big player on the scene it's you know it's reduced the uh, cost per kilowatt hour to produce energy but you look at these guys this is called uh, catch the falling knife uh you know, this is a logarithmic scale, and it's about oh, a little bit bigger than a postage stamp. So, what do you think that's going from a hundred to twenty? Nine, yeah, ninety to uh, twenty. Yeah, you got a good eye. Um, and so, I just take a look at that, and that's happened in the in two thousand eleven. The stock was down forty eight percent. Two thousand twelve, the stock's down forty percent. I mean, whoa, whoa, right? Is this all natural gas? And if it is, does it stop? Well, coal is, of course, under siege. So you've got, uh, you know, basically the Obama administration changing up the EPA rules to, in effect, put rules in where all coal plants no longer meet the requirements and the investment in technology to meet the requirements makes the coal, uh, you know, uneconomic. So, um, you know, that's, uh, that's for new plants. So you're un unlikely to have any new coal plants under the current EPA legislation for some time, but you still have a lot of coal plants. And the thing people may not realize is uh, last year in America, coal generated about 45% of the electricity used in America was coal. Why? Well, it's cheap. It's the cheapest way to make electricity. And for those of you that don't know how to make electricity, it's pretty easy, really, honestly. You, you uh, heat some water up with something that can burn, like coal, uh, that water drives steam, a steam engine that basically spins magnets around and a that turbine. pushes uh, that pushes electricity through wires. And then you make that about a billion times bigger than your house. That's uh, that's the thing. And so coal 
and this is a worldwide phenomenon. You know, China, I'm sure in China, you know, it might be, and I don't know the number, but I'm going to guess their reliance on coal is much higher than here. We, you know, 45% last year. China may be over 50, 60% coal. Now, what happened is because of fracking and the decline in the price of natural gas, everyone that can switch to natural gas does that. Uh, and now coal, in the last 12 months or 18 months, a very short and scary time, coal has gone from 45% electricity to 35. And, of course, that trend no one likes. Um, and so you see that in the chart. And what's happened is there's been some bankruptcies in coal. Patriot Coal's announced bankruptcy. There's many people that think James River is nearby. Um, and, but what we did in the shop, and unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, over the period we've owned them, coal has, has helped us, and, and we've, we've owned some recently, but we've owned more in the past when it went up. But we have a little knowledge about coal, and we got our hands on, and this is public information from the Interior Department, all the cost curves on coal. So let's say coal is goes from 35% to 10%. It goes down 67% because of who knows, uh, environmental concerns, the price of gas, the invention of... Uh, you know, portable nuclear power, you know, who, who, you know, lightning in a bottle, whatever. Coal, one of the reasons coal will maintain share is that so much of the industrial base is built to use coal. So even if you want to change, you can't. You know, it's what fires everything. So over the next 20, 30 years, coal has a pretty solid position. You know, in this, it could be 25, 35, uh, but it's in this zone. It's not going any lower. And places like China are dramatically gearing up their supply chain for coal. Um, but I guess the point to make here is that if coal goes down 70% in uh, demand, Peabody will still be in business. They may still sell the amount of coal they sell today, and everyone else will go out of business because Peabody has the lowest costs in the business. And so they're going to stay in business no matter how bad coal gets. Right now they're six times EBITDA. EBITDA could go lower. Maybe they're eight times. Maybe they're ten times uh, future EBITDA. That's still at a, a tremendous yield. They've got 22% operating margins this whole time because by throttling supply, they own the mines, they can drive price. So it's an interesting story. Well, when you when you look at this, is there one ratios or one valuation criteria you'd use to try to establish a bottom? Because the thing is clearly in free yes. fall. What would you do? GDP per capita in China and India. Okay. It's uh, in China. It's about. Uh, I'm going to be a little rusty, but I believe it's about 20 to 25 percent of the level of the U.S. In India, it's a little higher, not much. And if you start, uh, you know, I mean, remember, we cleared the forests here in America. And so as countries, you know, move up on the Maslow's hierarchy chart, they can be concerned about things like environment, natural forests, etc. Uh, but when you're China and India and there's people starving and don't have electricity and heat, <clears throat> you know, you have higher level concerns. So I think until GDP per capita in India and China starts approaching the level where you can have some the luxury of uh, worrying about the environment, there's going to be a huge uh, use of coal. And just to make... And, the, let, and let's face it, 
how many decades is it going to be before they get there? Well, right, exactly. Yeah. The exporting of coal has uh, gone up tenfold in America in the last ten years from a very tiny level, maybe one or two percent of production or five percent, to twenty. So last year, twenty percent of U.S. coal was exported to these countries that are worrying about GDP per capita, and that's my uh, thesis. And it's so. Just, do you think you think it's close to a bottom? From a I can't really predict that, but I can predict that it's going to be up quite a bit from this level. At In our point. lifetime. Well, it could take five years, but when you can get one percent at the bank. If this thing doubles in 10 years and you have to wait 8 years for that to happen, yeah, it's you're better it. off. You just need the conviction that, yes, we need coal. And uh, right now I think the market's not thinking about that. So that's that one, I guess. What else do we have? Oh, boy. Well, the last one we have is a, um, an, uh, uh, our cautionary tale. Yeah. You know, when you, uh, when you do these screens at some point, you come across something and you say, <laughs> that we, we have to look at this no matter how toxic it is just because it's fun to look at because it's toxic. Um, why do people rubberneck at accidents? Super value, ticker symbol SVU. How does a grocery store go bankrupt? This company was down 61% in 2008, down 13% in 2009, down 24% in 2010, down 15% in 2011. Kind of a tough period. 2012, whoa, baby, down 76%. So, I mean, this thing is dying on the vine. It's $1.95, but it's an 18% dividend. You know, I might just buy one share, so I have bragging rights to tell my buddies, I got a little stock that I own that's paying me 18% dividend just to make them drool. <laughs> you know, for a dollar ninety-five, it's worth owning this thing for the next six months. So yeah, when you, you go to one share. when you go to Spark Steakhouse, you're the, you've got the biggest yielding stock <laughs> at the bar, baby. So I'm I'm a buyer of this for bragging rights, but I've got to rely on you. How many for shares are you going to buy? Two, one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but well, I'm gonna... uh, again, there's all kinds of stocks that make your 52-week low screen, and some of them are going to. Continue to make the 52-week low until zero. You know, stocks heading for bankruptcy, they stop at the 52-week low every day at the end there. So this could be one of those. I think I have one, I have a two-syllable word to explain what's going on here. Two-syllable word? Yeah. And it's not, uh-oh. Walmart. Oh, okay. really? Walmart in grocery. And this is a little bit of an old story. They took... Uh, a low-cost model, spread it across grocery, and they, I mean, again, this is a five, ten-year-old story. They really took it to traditional firms like Kroger and Safeway and people like that. And I'm going to guess, when you read here, not only do they operate supermarkets, they're, uh, they've, they've got uh, $34 billion in sales, and Walmart is at what now? $200 billion, of which maybe $100 billion is grocery or... Or is this thirty-four million? You know, I. I but I does it, to me, it looks like it looks like the market is basically saying that this company is going bankrupt. Are they? Yeah. You think they're going bankrupt? I do. I do think that. Do you think the um, dividend will last long enough for me to have six months worth of bragging rights that I own a stock that's paying an eighteen percent dividend? Well, I think you know you, you'll you'll own it for a little while. The gross margin's 22%. I believe if you look at Walmart, and I'm not looking at Walmart here, but if you look at their grocery. It's probably 18%. What does that mean? Super, Super values charging higher than Walmart. These are all commodities. 
And so I think the customer is voting here. Sales have been going down. In February 08, they were 44 million. Is this million? It's got to be million, right? Not billion. Yep. No, it's, it's million. million. Okay. So it's it's 34 million against Walmart's billion, 100 billion. So it's gone from 44 to 34 in uh, eight years, and uh, it's got a higher gross margin than Walmart. Some people say that's good. I say in a commodity, it's not good. You're overcharging. They don't have any return here on assets. It's low single digit. And uh, you see all the analyst estimates in the last month. Estimates are down 40%, so they're disappointing people. And they've, got, and they've got 17 analysts. So Yeah, and they're, they're all getting upset. And I just I don't know how on a commodity business, if you're not low cost, you're just not going to survive. I mean, that's exactly why I'm willing to try to catch a falling knife on Peabody, is I know with some very high level of certainty, I'm not going to say it's 100, but it's interior department, you know, graphs. Uh, is there an exterior department? Of course, oh, but uh, that's another show. Uh, so low-cost producer commodity, own it if you think that the demand for the commodity is going to keep up. Uh, high-cost or mid-cost producer on a commodity... You know, you can't own it. So I'm. I I think the thing on a 17% yield is to get your money back. You got to have get that yield for six years. Well, and we're not. You probably we're, won't. We're not really not talking about that. We're talking about bragging. Just rights. the bragging rights. Exactly. Yeah, on now, that basis, I love it. Now you know it, this is a part of the job and uh, part of the job, part of the show where we t talk a little bit about uh, you know national trends. So yeah. here's a question about super value. Listen to this. You think these guys are going out of business? Their stock has been plummeting, and in the last six months, it's just just fallen off a cliff. This company has 130,000 employees. If this company goes under and 130,000 employees lose their jobs, the jobs number that's going to come out is actually going to be a flat to possibly negative jobs number because if these guys are all baked in in one quarter or so can have a big impact on the way people perceive the economy. If that's the case, we see a market decline, we short the market, we go long gold. What? I'm uh, <clears throat> I'm always 100%, between 95 and 100 small cap value. We don't tend to buy commodities because, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear and greed involved in that, and we're trying to do you know, very objective. Just the greed part. Well, just objective work on what's a what's an attractive investment. And I think there's a lot of gold people that do very well. But, you know, I think you, you talk about, Mo, the P.E. as being a applause meter. I mean, gold has no E. That's the thing about it. It's just people like to look at it. It has pretty. B. It has B. It has some electronics bling. uses, but that's very small. And so it's basically people's perception about, you know, fear and then that's a storehouse of value. I mean, you know, the tulip industry had a had a period where that was a storehouse. And uh, amazingly, in the early part of the 1900s, um, a, a certain type of uh, feathers in a hat were a, a big thing. And well, my family I still know. owns tulips, and we've been waiting for them to come back for yeah. 172 years. Here's... <laughs> And it's a, you know it's a selling point for our firm because we take yeah. the, long the long view. view. Yeah. Yeah. Your great 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 grandson will love you for it. We right. still own those tulips, and we're warehousing them. You know the thing is, tulips 
don't go bad. No, they don't. So anyway. Uh, Super value. Okay. Interesting, interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah. Economic yeah. trends, what I said one more time. We're gonna if if super value goes under, hundred and thirty thousand employees are gonna lose their jobs. That's gonna affect the jobs number, that's gonna affect the market. If you're making this call at this dollar ninety five stocks going under, you're making a call that hundred and thirty thousand people will lose their jobs. Well here, I wait a minute. If I, I don't think true, they're gonna lose their jobs. You think they're gonna work for a company that doesn't exist? No. They're going to become that, Silicon uh, Valley entrepreneurs. I think that because they're grocery stores in a lot of markets, one of the problems for super value, so, hey, management team, you're trying to, you've got a tiny sales base, and where'd my little sheet go? They've got about 40 brands they're trying to sell out here. they got uh, Acme Markets, Jewel Osco, Shaw's, Star Markets, Albertsons, uh, but only in the Intermountain area, Northwest and Southern California. I mean, they, they're doing, I mean, you know how much it costs to run a TV ad, run an ad campaign, do a logo? I mean, here's, let me tell you the biggest supermarkets uh, brand, Walmart. Well, okay? that's... I, I think they should come get one name or someone's going to come in and buy them. Maybe Kroger will buy them to try to get more of a footprint and improve their cost structure, but... I'm going to suggest, I don't know this, but I don't think there's too many supermarkets in the country. I just think that these guys are very badly run. They're not being run for efficient operations, and a better management team can take over. I'd say some of those employees are in danger, the ones that are related well, to the say, owners. Let's say uh, if, if half of them are in danger, we lose 60,000. I'm going to guess uh, 15%. All right, even still, that's going to have that's bi actually a big enough number that's that going to take down the jobs number. The jobs number, and if the jobs number goes down, we stay tuned because we're about to come back with waltzing through no, page page economic trend. No, we're like, going to waltz through. I thought we would waltz through. through. All right, so uh, I mean, we're not going to we're, we're not going to we're not going to tango through economic trends. No, we we're not. Walls. We could skip through we economic could skip. trends. We could skip the whole section, but we I could. think we're getting a lot of people like it. I don't so, know why. All right. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. everyone we're back with walking through national economic trends but because we're so deep into the show and it's late and I'm getting sleepy we're gonna we're, we're gonna just uh, just have a couple of trends I think this week a lot of it's like last week anyway when you look at some of these charts they change them quarterly That's I've already got all I I've already got all my favorite trends I was, I was noticing I have a personal question to ask you yes sir all right. Do we have any more uh, alcohol? Oh, we do. Yeah, let's. Oh, I'm boy. getting so sleepy here. Sleepy. Well, the, uh, the show is. Uh, there you go. Go, go, go. Sapping my strength. Like to just a little. Okay, get perfect. Little shout thank out you. to Kettle One Vodka thank you. again. Thank you very much. It's the only vodka Ooh, we drink tonight. This is going to be a tough one. Hey, you know what? If we finish here, we don't have to buy him a dinner. I know. Well, so we save a little money there. Oof. All right. That's good. That's so, um, question for you. Yes, sir. Personal question. Yes. 
units. Val has a lot of deep secrets. I hope it's not uh, too personal. No, look, a unit has come up for sale in my building. I live in a pretty prestigious building here. You know that. And uh, I think I think real estate is bottomed out as a big place. I'm thinking about actually buying it as an investment. So I'm yeah. looking here at international trends. I got a question. There are three charts on page three. One right on top of the other. Page three, yeah. Page right three. With you, yeah. One. Yeah. The consumer price index is it like negative? I mean, there's no inflation. Ever nobody thinks there's going to be any infl any inflation. The chart right underneath. Yeah, it, I just think that's crazy. Tom. Well, the chart right. underneath the ten-year Treasury. It's, it seems like every three days there's another new low. What's that tell you? Yeah. No inflation. No, there's no demand right. for money. And then at the bottom, unemployment's going down. When that is going down, people are going back to work sooner yeah. or later. Because of that unemployment rate plummeting from 10% in 2009 to you know close to 8-ish, um, sooner or later, with the Fed printing all this money, there's got to be big inflation, That's which is think. why I'm thinking about buying, get increasing right. my exposure yeah. to real estate. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. We went to a seminar recently. A lot of institutional investors, as you look for yield in these traditional securities markets, um, you know, there's not a lot around. So home prices are at, uh, I won't say lows relative to income, but certainly um, they're at lows relative to just, um, you know, unit volume. And so institutions are buying and setting up funds to build, buy big chunks of homes and and start renting them out and such. And well, so, you you had a uh, it's that's a floor under the price a little bit, I think. You had a very different play. You were saying here in the shop. I was saying I'm looking at. You know, it's interesting. One of the things that's kind of cool about this is here is a very academic piece that you can print off the internet. You look at three charts in this, and you say, you know what? Consumer price index, interest rates, unemployment rates. I'm buying an apartment. That's a very tangible way to use these charts. You had a very different take on it. You said, with all of this happening, um, you're going to see people put together these funds to buy homes. When they buy homes, they upgrade the homes. When they upgrade the homes, what do they buy? Well, we're looking. You know, we own U.S. Gypsum in the shop. There they make go. ceilings. It's the remodel guys. So these guys are going to buy these homes. They're at lows. The cash yield. If you buy a home and rent it, you're earning about ten percent on your equity, and that's better than you can get anywhere. And you're paying lows, uh, at least uh, you know eight-year kind of lows on these prices. And it's uh, it's a it's a very real opportunity for. Um, certainly, brokerage firms to securitize these portfolios, and for uh, and high net worth investors to get involved. But even middle worth investors can get involved. You just have to call Merrill Lynch or somebody and ask them about uh, their home, uh, you know, residential real estate funds. And I think they're popping up all over right now. And it also means that if you want to, if you're one of those do-it-yourself kind of guys, and you uh, you you know an area, you see a house on your block. I, I'm personally thinking. That uh, not, you know, I'm not a market timer. I'm personally thinking that over the course of the next five years, we're going to see a fairly meaningful uptick in inflation. Yeah. The housing market is bottomed out as a great inflation hedge, I've always thought. And so uh, go out and buy a bigger house. That's what I think. I agree with that. Um, well, just in that same vein, uh, Mo, I didn't see a lot of new stuff I wanted to talk about today. But there is a thing. Now, we're just paging through national economic trends. It's at the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. Google it up. It's free. It's just a lot of great information that if you're uh, 
serious about uh, investing, you really got to page through here every week, and we help you do that. But I'm looking at page 14. There's a chart called Real Residential Fixed Investment uh, Percent Change from a Year Ago. Now, this thing, if you look at it, there's 30 years of history here. It ticked down in the beginning of 06, which should have erased some alarm bells. I'll just admit it didn't here. And it started going down at a pretty good clip. So believe me, this is a metric everyone should be watching right now and f from now on. But starting in the middle of 2009, uh, this thing has been moving up at a very rapid clip. First it was a, you know, smaller declines, but in the last two quarters, real residential fixed investment has had the first positive increase since the last quarter of 2005. And that's combined with some upticks in uh, real estate pricing and such. So I think there's a lot of data, and you were just talking about it, Mo, that suggests that we're moving toward lows in uh, residential real estate. And that's, that's a great thing for the economy. It is. It is. And a great thing if you have uh, your eye on a piece of property you're thinking about buying, take it from us. We think we know what we're talking about. Well, you do, anyway. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, this week on the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. I think it's uh, we've actually used up a lot of time tonight. I think uh, we might want to cut out one of our caveats, Mo. I don't know. Anyway, uh, this has been the July 26, 2012 edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show. See all our caveats, bios, indexes to past shows, um, and uh, all kinds of photographs and diary entries from Mo at www.thevalueguys.com. So long, everybody. Good night.